You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Tough crowd this morning, huh? All right. Um, maybe I'll just break the ice. You guys heard about... Um, let me tell you a bit about hairstyles. Alright, you know there are three different kinds of hairstyles, right? I don't know if I've told this joke before, maybe I have. Um, why are you laughing? <laughs> three different kinds of hairstyles, right? The first one is the Korean hairstyle, the center parting, right? You know, you've seen those Korean movies, the guys, you know, center parting, right? That's great. And then, of course, the other hairstyle is the side parting, right? Yeah, yeah, the side parting is great. Now, there's a third kind of hairstyle that's called a departing. That's my kind of hairstyle, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, the hairstyle chose me. Not, no, I didn't get to choose this hairstyle, right? So anyhow. Okay, so this morning, um, my message is, uh, Here Comes the King. We're on a series of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to 14. For those of you who are joining us online, I pray that you know, this morning, um, the Word of God will just go forth and you shall not return void. It shall go into just wherever you're watching, uh, into, right into your hearts as well. Um, all right, so this morning, uh, we're going to talk a bit about king, right? When we think of king, who do we think of? We know that recently somebody has been crowned king, right? Yeah? We think of this man, right? King Charles the first, second, third, I don't know. The third? Yeah, the third. King Charles the third, right? When we think of king, we think of someone like him, who's all dressed up, you know, all the uniform, you know, looking prim and proper, um, maybe some gold somewhere, encrusted crown somewhere, um, a bit of a longish nose as well. I don't know, right? King Charles, right? Um, but this morning, I want to talk a bit about another kind of king and the kind of king that God wants us to see. And we all know who we're talking about. So this morning, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to 14. Um, I'm going to read it through. It's not going to be on the screen because I believe that uh, we all have our Bibles either on the phone or for those who are more archaic like myself, um, paper Bible, right? So um, let's turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to 14. I'm going to read that. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt, a colt tied, and on which no one has set. Lose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it there, or he will send it here. So they went their way, and they found a colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing losing the cult. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they, left, so they let them go. Then they brought the cult to Jerusalem and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and then those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. And so when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Verse 12. Now the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. Sorry, I'm lost. Okay, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. All right, that's um, just, if we could just close our eyes and we're just going to quickly pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we ask, would you give us listening ears and listening hearts 
to what you want to say this morning. I pray that our hearts will be tender towards you. I pray that, God, your word will go forth. It shall not return void. It shall accomplish in the way it is sent. And we pray that this morning, our eyes and hearts will be fixed to you, our King, King Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a familiar passage we all have heard many times over, particularly on Easter Sunday, right? Or maybe Good Friday, or maybe the Advent to Easter. Now, here comes Jesus. We all know this story. He enters Jerusalem as the nation's rightful king, and King Jesus rode on a donkey or colt, and they were throwing clothes on the ground. They were taking leafy branches um, and throwing on the ground, and they were welcoming him, and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, or blessed is he who comes in the name of David. It was a joyous and a momentous occasion. Now, finally, the king has arrived. This entire procession is what, uh, and most uh, quite familiar with, um, how the Jews will actually introduce their king and welcome their king as well. If you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 38 to 40, it's also on the screen. It says this, So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benai the son of Jehodiah, the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon and they blew the horn and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. It was not just the entrance of the king, but it was kind of like the coronation, right? The, the crowning of King Solomon. And here we see that this similarly welcoming reception is fit for our king, King Jesus. Now, there are three observations about this king that I want to make this morning. The first one is this, Jesus is the promise-keeping king. The second one is Jesus is the humble king. And the third one, Jesus is the disciplining king. All right, so let's go to the first one, the promise-keeping king. Now, you might be thinking, well, there are words in the text did it mention that Jesus keeps his promises or he's a promise-keeping king. Well, we've got to look further, right? So let's look at the first verse. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. So Jesus was at the Mount of Olives, right? Now, did you know that where he stood was actually promised more than 400 years ago? The exact place of where he stood. And literally, some scholars say that he, he literally stood there at the exact place, and his east was facing Jerusalem. So if we look at the text in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. Now, Zechariah is a prophet. He prophesies and he speaks about the Messiah, the coming Messiah as well, and some of these texts points to that. So in here it says, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved towards the north and half of it towards the south. Notice how detailed this promise is and how detailed it is fulfilled as well. Right? Mount of Olives. I mean, he could be standing somewhere else, like maybe, I don't know, somewhere near Jerusalem. I don't know what, what streets there are, but... He could, it could be somewhere else, but it's actually specific. The second thing is uh, that how we can know that Jesus is a promise-keeping king is the, the way he enters into Jerusalem. So if we were to look um, and think about how Jesus instructed his disciples, he said, okay, he told his disciples, you know what, go into the nearby town, you'll see a donkey being tied. All you need to do is grab the donkey and if somebody asks you, hey, what are you doing? All you need to say is, well, the Lord has need for it, and they'll let you go. Like, can you imagine rocking up to somebody who owns a Tesla, <laughs> right? Just grab the car and just, hey, what are you doing? Oh, the Lord has need of it. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure, take. <laughs> right? It's, it's almost similar to that. And, and, and that actually happened. What Jesus said actually happened. All right? Not only that, 
If you look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. Now, Zechariah was written more than 400 years ago prior to this incident where we see Jesus entering Jerusalem. I mean, the details, God is in the details even in His promises, even in the prophecies, even in the things that He has said, to the down to the details, He's going to come riding on a donkey. And you can see King Jesus just fulfilling every of these promises. Did you know that the story of Jesus, the, it saturates the meta narrative of the Bible, and it's recorded that, you know, allusions to Him, in, even in the little details, in the microwaves, um, the people, the events, all point to this coming king. One scholar, J. Barton Payne, has found that as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament points to this coming king. Uh, Alfred Edersheim found 456 Old Testament verses referring to this coming king as well. And conservatively, Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. And this morning, I want to tell you that in the same way, what was promised before, Jesus has come to fulfill that promise. He doesn't just say it, He makes sure He fulfills it. He is the promise-keeping King, right? And we have those promises in our Bibles as well. How many of you know that you got promises in the Bible, right? Romans chapter 8, favorite one. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Wow, what a great promise, right? And if, imagine if it's written here and we have a God whose very nature is a promise-keeping one, He will see it come to pass. A lot of us, we go through times of darkness. We go through seasons where we are waiting and we're like, God, what's going on? We're waiting for an answer, waiting for a solution. The key here is this. God has given us His precious promises so that we can hang on to them and we have hope that He will fulfill it. I'll share with you a story, and i sorry, Han, if I butcher this story, but this is uh, what it is, right? Um, every year I would take uh, a few days off to seek God for the direction for my life and my family. Um, I remember towards the end of 2020, when I saw the Lord, He gave me this one word. He said, establish and he gave me the verse where the word is from. Um, it's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. It says this, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. Now, we were in the thick of the COVID pandemic. I just lost my job uh, in the tourism industry. Uh, thank God that I moved to the telecommunications industry after that. And then... You know, but I was from a permanent position moved to a casual role. So that's a lot of uncertainty there. Eunice was just completing her studies and then just you know, uh, tr entering a season of finding work again after being a full-time mom for almost, I think, seven, seven years. And it's not easy, right? Uh, for moms here, if you, whatever you do, full-time moms, we really appreciate you and we know how difficult it is. And um, it's not easy to get back into the workforce. There were times where I did not know how long my casual role was going to be. There were times where it was difficult for units to do relief work and somehow my shift work didn't really allow for everything to fall in place with kids drop-off, kids, um, you know, um, and also picking up the kids from school. And I struggled a lot because while being working as Telstra staff, uh, Telstra, yeah, I work in Telstra, um, <laughs> casual staff, uh, in Telstra, um, it was difficult because you see your colleagues who came in in the same batch as you being trained up and then eventually offered permanent roles and you're just sitting there not being spoken to, not knowing what's going to happen next. It's difficult. And I remember clearly that I said, you know what, it's not easy. And we took God's promises and we said, you know what, God, you said it. You said your word, commit to the Lord whatever we do and you will establish our plans. So we gathered as a family, we prayed 
We laid down our plans. I prayed for a permanent role. And Eunice, we prayed for her to find relief work and eventually a permanent role. Um, and then we turned to Talia and said, Talia, what, what, what do you want us to pray for? She said, I, I want to be a student counsellor. I said, okay, cool. We'll pray for that. And I turned to Zion, Zion, what do you want to do? She said, oh, I want Lego. All right, cool. <laughs> Please pray for my son. He still needs lots of uh, guidance. Um, but yes. Uh, and we prayed this for almost three months straight, just trusting God as a family. And in April, we just went down south for a break, for a holiday a simple one, and then my manager called me up during the holidays and said, Daryl, I just want to announce to you good news. You've secured that permanent role that you applied for. I say, oh, wow. God kept his promise. I just need to do what his word says. One down, two more to go. So the next two months was a huge struggle for Eunice because now she's finished her studies, she's needing to apply for, for a role, she's needing to do some relief work. If you don't do relief work, you won't get noticed, and you won't get noticed, you don't get a job, right? So it's very important for her to do that, and it's, it was very difficult. Um, over the next course of one month uh, uh, during that time, um, at the same time, I got moved up from uh, my role to a leadership role in a span of one month. And I'm like, God, what are you doing here? Within that time, my shift work starts to decrease and I have more fixed hours. And then Eunice was able to do more shift work. At this very moment, when she submitted her CV and she was struggling, she said, Daryl, I don't know what to do. I said, she said, Daryl, you got a role and I'm glad for you, but I don't have one. I said, you know what, Eunice, I'll, let's, why, don't we, why don't we pray? Why don't we trust God? If God says He will establish and He did it for me, He'll do it for you too. A month later, two job offers landed for Eunice. She took the one that offers her the most flexibility. Everything was in line. We were able to organize for the kids. You know, childcare is expensive, right? So we were able to get the kids to school, drop the kids off and all that kind of stuff. And then within a month later, in term three, Talia has got the student counselor role. And of course, at the end of the year, Zion got his Christmas present. <laughs> Throughout the whole process, we, I, I, can, I kid you not, I did not manipulate anyone. I did not charm anyone. I don't have talent. I don't recall me having any talent in the workforce in any way. And neither, is, neither does Eunice. We, we didn't do anything. We didn't play any office politics. It was not, there was nothing done by us. All we did was we put our head down and we said, God, you said in your word, commit your ways to the Lord in whatever you do and you will establish us. And God established us. And I believe that if this God can establish us and He kept His promise, He's going to keep His promise for you too. So He is the promise-keeping King, when he brings his promise, it's always at the right time, at the right place, and always the perfect solution. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to strive for it. Hold on to his promises. The second point is this. Jesus is the humble king. In Mark chapter 11, verse 7, it says, Then they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know what the, verses, what the verse say. Now, imagine a king entering a city, right? You would imagine a king entering into a city on a stallion, right? On a stallion, like riding on a horse. You know, maybe you might imagine somebody like a king, like King Commodus from the Gladiators. Right, riding in a chariot, nice gold armor, right, fanfare, trumpets blowing, all the soldiers, all the knights, all, all, all the soldiers, all just marching in front, marching behind. We will imagine when a king enters a city, that's what it's going to be. Or maybe, I don't know, how many of you are Lord of the Rings fan, right? King Aragorn, right? When he enters, some of the ladies like the rugged look, right? So rugged, you know, ready for war, when he says something, oh, my heart melts. Um, you know, it's that, that kind of entrance, you know, he's, he's rugged, ready for war, all dressed up in, in knightly armour, and you imagine that would be the king. But this, a lot of us 
kind of put this passage on a, on a high, but I kind of find this passage is actually an anticlimax. It's not exactly a climax kind of passage. It's an anticlimax. Jesus came riding on a donkey. On a donkey. Like, why, like he could have gotten chariots, right? He could have said, hey, Gabriel. Hey, Michael. Get my chariots ready. We're going to ride into Jerusalem right now. I got chariots of angels lined up ready to do that. He could have done that. But he did not. He did not. Why? There are two key words here. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on the donkey. It's so interesting that they would use lowly. You would imagine when somebody announced the, uh, the, the, the entrance of a king, it would be, Welcome to this, uh, look at this king, he's coming to you. He's high and mighty with a sword on his hand and a scepter on his right hand or something like that. But no, that's not the case. He says, this king is coming to you and he's riding on a donkey lowly. Lowly means humble. He's not high and mighty somewhere. He's lowly. He's humble to be with you. He's humble because he wants to be close to his people. He's humble. The second keyword in this verse, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, says this, that the king, behold, the king is coming to you. Think about that for a minute. Which king in their right frame of mind would come to you? Do you think King Charles would come to you? Hey, what are you cooking for dinner tonight? I'll come, I'll come and join you for dinner. Oh, fur? Okay, sure. No. He's not going to do that. You've got to seek an audience with the king. You've got to go to the king, right? He's not going to come to you. But this king, Jesus, is different. He will come to you. He's not on his high horse somewhere. He's not on a palace somewhere, unreachable, untouchable. He wants to be close to you. He's humble and he comes to his people. King Jesus comes to where we are in our broken humanity, in our brokenness, in the time when we are sinful. It says in the Bible, in Romans, you know, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to us while we were still in our brokenness, while we were still in our sin. He's not seated somewhere where He's unreachable and untouchable. He meets with us. Do you know that He's always like that? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. He's Asian, right? <laughs> Eats all the time. Dine with me. And dine with him and he with me. Are you guys hearing the echo? No? Okay, cool. No worries. And this is what Jesus is saying, I'm outside of the door of your heart. I'm here to be with you. Now, for those of you who have maybe heard about this Jesus before and you hear all the stories about Jesus and you're loving it, maybe this morning is the time to invite Him into your life, to recognize that He's standing at the door of your heart and say, hey, you know what? You don't have to close the door on me anymore. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to do anything but to be with you. Open the door of your heart. I'm here to love you. I'm here to be at where you are exactly in your brokenness, in your sinful nature, don't worry, I'm going to be there with you. Maybe there's a nudge in your heart this morning. Maybe you hear the knock. Don't reject it. Open the door of your heart. I'm going to sidetrack here a bit and address uh, those who are Christian leaders because we are on the topic of the humble king, right? Um, now, I do not have all the answers. I'm still growing in leadership, so... Um, bear with me, I've not arrived. Uh, I thought maybe I'll just share a few thoughts. Okay, there are two important leadership traits to develop and consistently build, and I'm building that myself. Number one is humility, since we are on the topic of the humble king. Number two is approachability. All right, humility before God, approachability before men. Number one, humility. Um, I think we need to always be humble before God, Christian leaders. We do need to be. It's not just an external expression of humility. It's not just the, um, where we kind of knew before God and that expression of, you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm humble. But it comes from a heart posture 
where we say and we know deep down inside that we are truly nothing without God. Truly nothing. Our skills, our charisma, no matter how well we speak on stage or how well we talk, our talent amounts to nothing before God. And therefore, as a Christian leader, I should be fully dependent on Him. Right? I should be fully dependent on Him. Now, that's what it means to be humble before God. The opposite of that, obviously, you know, is pride, right? Proverbs um, 18, 12 says, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honour. Now, the problem arises when we think that we, take, you know, we can take credit for the big things and the little things in what we have accomplished. That's when the problem arises. When we think, yeah, you know what? I did this. I did that. I accomplished that because I did it. No, God gave you the talents. God gave you the, the ability. God gave you the wisdom to do it. So all credit belongs to Him. And the problem with pride is that sometimes when we are too proud, we don't recognize that we are wrong before God. We think we are always in the right. And I think it's important to keep a clear conscience before God. Always be humble before Him. If you want honor and leadership, the Bible says, stay humble. The second thing, approachability. Be approachable. Do what King Jesus did. Go to people. Right? Um, when you, you, you think about that, you say, oh, Daryl, wait a minute. Approachability doesn't sound exactly like that. You don't, you're not meant to approach people. Approachability, from what I understand, is that you know, you're, you're just approachable. You, you appear approachable so that people, when they come to you, they go, oh, he's got a nice face, he's got a nice tone. You know, and then that's when you kind of like talk to them, right? Because you seem approachable. Or maybe some of you might be thinking, you know what, I'll be approachable, I'll stand at the corner and smile at people and go like, yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's being approachable, but that's creepy, right? So <laughs> let's not go there. The, the funny thing about approachability is that you've got to make the first move. Whether you're a ministry leader, a CG leader, or a leader even at your workplace, you, people don't come to you naturally. You've got to go to them at where they are, serve them and love them. A lot of us in our um, leadership, we talk a lot about numbers, like, oh, is your ministry growing? Is your church growing? Is your, is your department growing? Are you hitting the KPIs or the figures? But begin, as I begin to understand more about leadership, it's not about the numbers. The numbers are what God gives you. That's not what you can manipulate. What God wants is for you to be approachable to focus on loving the people, serving them. Because out of that, that's where he takes, care of, he takes care of the breath of your work. You just make sure you work on the people and strengthen them and love them and serve them. Matthew 28, 18 also says this, go and make disciples of all nations. Not stay and make disciples, right? Not stay where you are and make disciples. No, go, you got to go. You, it means you probably got to give up your time of your schedule, get out of the comfort zone of where you are, and love and care for people. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So remember, we are not just leaders, we are firstly servants. Firstly servants. Now in my time as a young pastor and leader, I just uh, quick quick story, um, I've learned and observed from, uh, had the privilege to work under this pastor called Pastor Thomas, um, and he is one of the most humble and approachable leader I've ever known. This man has no flair about him. Uh, he learned humility at a young age. You know, he was interning with a few other younger men in the Southeast Asian church, and as intern, you know, as you progress as an intern, your senior pastor, if he's happy with you, or apparently that's what he told me, if he's happy with you, you're up next, right? You are going to be the next ministry head or the next, you know, pastor or the next leader. Um, so for him uh, and for the rest of them, uh, they, 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 they did everything that the church made them do, right? Stack chairs, wash the church toilet, getting ready for Sunday's events, hanging up banners, you know, and they were all simply just paid with meals and a place to stay. And because you've got a place to stay, so therefore you're also the security of the building, right? Um, so that's kind of how it works. Um, but the key was that he did all of that and slowly he began to see his, uh, his other friends progressing up 
being ministry heads, being department heads, being pastors, being leaders, but he wasn't appointed. And then he said this very profoundly to me. He said, uh, finally, Daryl, uh, after many years of struggle, I became a pastor. I said, wow, that's wonderful. He said, but must remember this. It is not me, it is God. If God made me a pastor any earlier, he would have selected the wrong person. I was proud, arrogant, and mischievous. That taught me a lot about leadership, about servant leadership, because it is not about our authority. God is not concerned about the length, the breadth of your ministry. God is more concerned about the inner workings of character development, to be humble, to be approachable. And for those of you who are wanting to be leaders, you've got to wait. God will exalt you in due time. Stay humble, stay approachable. Amen? The third thing is this, the disciplining king. My third point. Now, we read through that whole passage of the triumphal entry and now we come to this text that is a bit odd. Agree with me? It's a bit odd. Like, the next day, Jesus got out of Bethany. He was hungry. He saw a fig tree from afar. And he goes like, wow, there are leaves on it. Fantastic. Let's go have a look. I think there might be some fruits. I'm hungry anyway. Went closer. Oh, no fruits. This is not good. I'm going to curse the fig tree right now. Right? He says, let, and he talks to the tree, let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. What's that? <laughs> like, what happened? Like, what? Jesus got out? You got, Jesus, you got out the wrong side of bed that morning. You had to talk to the tree. What, what did the, the tree ever, ever do to you? Like, it's just a tree. Like, it bears fruits in seasons. Now it's not the season, so there's no fruits, obviously, isn't it? Um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe Jesus was hungry and angry at the same time, so he's hangry, that's right. And so he decided to curse the tree and says, what, what, why don't you have fruits? And I'm thinking, okay, if Jesus, you really got to do this, can't you just silently curse the tree so your disciples don't actually hear, hear it. But he intentionally said it out loud and the Bible records for us and his disciples heard it. Mark, who wrote this, probably heard it. And probably all of them go like, what did, just, what did, what did the master just do? Okay, um, pretty odd, right? So now, we will need to understand it. In order to understand this, we will need to read it from a Hebrew construct. So we must understand the Hebrew teaching pattern. Um, I love Hebrew, so uh, did really well in Hebrew, so I enjoyed it. Um, now, the pattern is like this. It's A, B, C, B, A. All right? So, is it on the screen? I think it's on the screen. Yep. Cool. So, this pattern, um, A, B, C, B, A, exists in some of the Hebrew uh, way of teaching. All right? And so, how it works is that A is the triumphal entry, B, the cursing of the tree, C, the cleaning of the temple, B, the withered tree, and A, the rejection of Yeshua. Now, a lot of us always think when we read a story, the climax is at the end. That's the end point. It's like it's building up and then, wow, okay, here's the teaching point. But in the Hebrew teaching construct, the main emphasis is in the middle of it. It's at point C, the cleansing of the temple. That is the main point. Every event, A and B, points to that focal point. Get it? Okay, cool. Now, if it's too hard, don't worry. See me after the service. I can explain to you again. All right. But the, and how it works is this. The re, why, why is Jesus pointing to that? Because the temple is the epicenter of which the Jewish, where Jewish tradition and culture and worship all meets and congregates at that place. Everything begins at the temple for the Jewish person. And it is a place where it represents the nation's devotion to God. It's a place where they meet with God. But you know what happened after that? After this story, which Mark will, will go on next week, um, is that he came to the temple and he cleansed the temple. He drove out Everyone, everyone who tried to make a business transaction there, he drove them out. What did he tell them? He says, this is my father's house. This is a house of prayer. This is, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. 
This is the temple is a place where people are meant to have a divine transaction with God. Instead, they find themselves doing business transactions with one another. And so Jesus is saying, "Hey, this is the main thing that I'm 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 focusing on. This is my disappointment." And I'm just going to tie in together with the fig tree now so that you can see everything, okay? So imagine this. Jesus saw the fig tree from afar and he saw leaves on it. It's similar to Jesus entering Jerusalem and he saw, wow, what a reception. Great. They welcomed the king. They threw clothes on the floor. They sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, wow. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What a great reception. On the external, looks really good. But as he gets closer, walking towards the fig tree, thinking that he might see fruits on it, but he saw nothing. In the same way, as he enters Jerusalem into the heart of the city, into the temple, where it represents the nation's devotion to God, he was sorely disappointed. There was no devotion. It was just like a marketplace. It was not a place where it was a house of prayer. It was not a place where they could meet with God. There was no divine transaction. It was all business transactions. And Jesus was disappointed. Isn't it true that in our modern times, in Christian, as Christian disciples of the 21st century, sometimes we can look very good from far? We go to church, we serve, we preach, we teach, we raise our hands in worship, we Instagram, Bible verses, we let everyone know we are going to church, we let everyone know we are Christians. But if I were to ask a question, if King Jesus were to come today and he was to look into your heart, look at you behind closed doors, what would he find? Would he find a heart that is devoted, absolutely surrendered to him? Would he find somebody who is, where the king is on the throne of, the heart, of, of your lives? Or will he find something else? And so, we live, I would say, sometimes a double life. A double life. Where, yes, Jesus is in my life, but he's not on the throne of my heart. You know, we can sing, Jesus be the center of it all. Sometimes I sing that and I go like, God, are you really the center of my life? Or have I been not putting you at the center of my life? Interestingly, after all of that, I'm just going to skip a few things because we are short of time. After all of that, we must recognize that Jesus, despite the disappointment, he didn't punish the nation of Israel. He just drove out those who owned the stalls in the, in the temple. He didn't punish them. All he did was to say, hey, this temple, let's return it back to its original purpose. He was just disciplining them, correcting them. And in the same way, he disciplines us and he corrects us. Why? so that we can return back to God's original plan and original purposes. He loves us. The Bible says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. How many of you are parents here? Yeah? Put your hands if you are parents. Yep. Now, if your child continues with a certain attitude or behavior, it's going to lead them down a path where they are not able to get off, and you know that, right? Like, if they keep playing computer games, you know it's, it's going to lead down a path of addiction, right? And at some point, as parents, you've got to kind of have that conversation with them. Or maybe put some boundaries in place so that it stops them from their path of destruction, <laughs> right? Path of destroying themselves. And that's what you do. In the same way, 
Jesus did it. Jesus disciplines us for a reason, so that he knows that if we are going down that path of destruction, he can stop that right there. And why he does it? Because he loves us enough to do something about it. Why you do it for your kids? Because you love them enough to do something about it. So this morning, don't reject his discipline. Don't reject his correction. It is to protect you from going down that path of destruction. In response to his discipline, what do we do? Simply we repent. Repent means to change our mind, change the, our habits, change the way we do things, change our behaviours, because we know it's going to destroy us. And for some of you this morning, you might be going through some of that. How many of you like discipline? Where are the youths here? You guys like discipline? No? No? It's tough, right? It's tough. Why? Because it's like you're restricted. Things are stripped away from you. Your liberty is gone. But it's helping you. It's because your parents love you. In the same way, do you know your parents are disciplined as well by God? There are some things as adults, sometimes we go through challenging times and it may be times where God has to correct us. It may be times where maybe we are stripped off of our luxuries, of our comfort. And because of that, we go like, you know what, I think I'm closer to God right now than I was before. That's God correcting you. I know it's a heavy message to end like that, but this is our King. If you notice, Jesus is a promise-keeping King. Jesus is the humble King, and Jesus is the disciplining King. It's all because He not only just wants to be close to us, but because He loves us. This King, one week later, would find Himself in this place, on the cross, and they label and put a label on top of him on that top of the cross and they mock him. You know what that label says, right? This is Jesus, King of the Jews. This king, this promise-keeping king, this humble king, this disciplining king didn't come with glamour. He came for one thing and one thing alone. You. Your life. Your heart. That's why He is who He is. And one week later, He would take all the sins of the world, yours, mine, nail it to the cross. And pay the price for all the sins that you have committed, you will commit and do it all. And finally, he cries out, it is finished. The price has been paid so that today you can be set free. This morning, with all eyes closed and heads bowed, If you're here this morning, I'm just wanting to speak with you and you have not, um, maybe you have not received Jesus before, you've, but you've heard of Jesus, you've maybe heard about Him as a king, but you don't really know what He has come to do. Well, this morning I, I did tell you He has come to keep His promises for your life. He's not far from you, He's a humble king and sometimes He lovingly corrects you. And so, He does all this, and He died on the cross for you. He does all this for you because He wants you to know He loves you. So this morning, if you do not know Jesus, and you say, Daryl, I want to receive His love this morning. I want to receive Him in my life. I want you to quickly just put up your right hand and then put it down. If that is you this morning, you to quickly put up your right hand you say I want to receive Jesus in my life and after just put it down
us pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your son, who is our king. I pray that he will continue to take the throne of our lives, continue to be seated on that throne. I pray that God, these are the that as a as who he is, a king, the promise-keeping king, the humble king, and the disciplining king. That this that we'll always remember that this is the nature of who he truly is. That we will not be like Jerusalem, that welcome him with just empty words, but not really have him at the throne of our hearts. Pray that this morning will be a reminder that we do need King Jesus to reign again in our hearts. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Let's just uh, spend some time worship God. Sing. Amazing love that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy that bore with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving is God. You're so good, God, you're so good, God, you're so good, you're so good to Behold. Father, we thank you for your time uh, that, that we can gather today. We ask you to bless us and keep us and cause your face to always shine upon us this morning. As we go, Lord God, let us go with the joy and peace in our hearts. 
in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, everyone. Have a great week. See you next week.